0: Well, good evening, First Norfolk family. Uh, thank you for joining with us for this study through the book of Acts. Tonight, I want to encourage you to turn to Acts chapter 12. And we're going to look at the church in prayer. Every Tuesday night, uh, except the weeks of Vacation Bible School, we're meeting at 6.30 in the chapel for a time of prayer. For, for we believe that in prayer, uh, we walk up Steps that God's love has built, and look upon the horizon that God's sovereignty is creating. We believe that. In prayer, we get a God-sized view of our life and our circumstances and even our world. In prayer, we get to see the heartbeat of God. And tonight, um, uh, we're looking at the church in prayer. So I want to encourage you, uh, if you haven't been able to be with us uh, on Tuesday nights at 6.30 in the chapel, I want to encourage you to do all that you can to be with us during that time where we, the church, gather together in prayer, just like we find here in Acts chapter 12. As we look at Acts chapter 12, we'll kind of give you a a snapshot of of where we are and what God is doing. We find that uh, Herod Agrippa has created chaos for the church. At the very beginning of this passage, we see that Herod Agrippa, who was friends of two Roman emperors who would become Roman emperors, um, that Herod Agrippa had been given land equal to his grandfather. His grandfather was uh, the one that killed all the innocents when Jesus was born. Uh, that, that's Herod. This is Herod Agrippa, his grandson. And his grandson has uh, really made great pains for the church Uh, of Jesus Christ. He has determined that uh, the best way politically for him to get ahead is to put down this movement, these followers of Jesus. And it is a movement at this point. You remember uh, this past week where we see the church uh, begin to spread and and move outward toward uh, toward the the wider Roman Empire. We see that the church at Antioch was committed to reaching everyone, reaching the them uh, along with the Jews, reaching everyone with the gospel. And so it's a movement at this point in Jerusalem, which uh, now with the church at Antioch and the church at Jerusalem, we kind of have two centers for the church. Um, Jerusalem uh, was experiencing great persecution. We find that Herod Agrippa uh, has put to death James, the brother of John, one of the sons of Zebedee. And when he put James, the uh, the, the son of Zebedee, to death, it pleased the Jewish audience there in Jerusalem. And so Herod determined that he was going to double down, and he arrested Peter the apostle. The church was in trouble, and they didn't know how to navigate the difficulties that they were facing. Uh, Now, look along with me in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 12. Now, about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass uh, some from the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. And, uh, and, and uh, uh, now it was during the day, days of unleavened bread. Uh, so when he had arrested Peter, he put him in prison, delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after the Passover. Although our troubles may not seem as intense as the believers there in Jerusalem, each of us understand troubling times. We live in difficult days. Even in the landscape of everyday life, we experience troubles. And we need God's power to press us forward to accomplish our calling, to fulfill our calling. Now, you remember what our calling is, the calling for the church is found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You'll receive power, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. As the church had pressed out of Jerusalem, as it had moved into Samaria, like in Acts chapter 8, as it had made its way to people like Cornelius, God-fearers, and then in Acts chapter 11, as it pressed on to uh, the uttermost parts of the earth, We know that they were experiencing trouble, uh, but their calling remained the same. God had given the church then and today, our church, the same calling, and that is to tell others who Jesus is, to be a witness for Jesus. And so, as we look at um, the troubles that now had descended on the church at Jerusalem, the church at large, how do you face those troubles and have the power to press on to fulfill the calling of telling everyone everywhere who Jesus is and calling them to experience life through faith in Christ. Prayer is the answer. God answers prayer with power so that the church may fulfill her calling. Uh, What can you and I do, what can we do as a church, To find the power we need to fulfill God's calling in difficult days, in uh, cultures that are contrary to the things of God, in opposition to the truth of God, how do we find the power that we need? to fulfill our calling. And and many of us have fought for years against the culture. But guys, I got to tell you, I I really believe that we need to take off our boxing gloves. Jesus has already won the battle against culture. What we need to do is point people to Jesus. We need to tell them who Jesus is, as we see this week and as we'll see again uh, next Wednesday night, when we are true to present who Jesus is in the face of opposition, persecution, prayed up and filled with the Holy Spirit, when we are faithful to uh, tell others who Jesus is, the gospel wins. It doesn't mean it changes everybody's mind. It doesn't even mean that we won't experience persecution, but it means that we will fulfill our calling. So how do we get hold of this power that we need? We need to walk upstairs that God's love is built and look at the horizon that his sovereignty is creating, and we do that through prayer. Uh, We uh, pray like the first church was praying here in the book of Acts. We we need to commit to urgent, earnest prayer, to to this constancy of prayer that we find in verse 5. You see, the church... In 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 uh, uh, in the ancient Near East in the first century, the church was committed to pray in ways that perhaps we're not now. I, I pray every day. I really do, and 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 I set aside specific time in my day every day to pray. I pray for you, and I pray for my family. I pray for uh, the Southern Baptist Convention, which can be a hot mess sometimes. I I pray for the churches in our. Um, in, in our network of relationships as a church, those churches that we uh, plant, like Church in the Valley in Edmonton uh, or La Chapelle in, in uh, uh, Montreal and, and Quebec City and, and uh, 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 down in Ottawa. I, I pray for those churches which we are partnered with in this planting movement. I pray for church planters, and I pray for friends and pastors and I pray for people who need the Lord. There's a person that I've been praying for every day for over a year and a half, and that is my one person that I believe God is using me or wants to use me to lead that person to faith in Christ. And I look forward to the day when I get to baptize that one and celebrate the new life that they found. So, I pray every day, and that's important. It's important in our personal lives to be people of prayer, to commit to urgent, earnest prayer. But as a church, we must do the same. And that's what Tuesday nights are about. Tuesday nights are about earnest, urgent prayer. We don't, we don't uh, uh, preach a sermon. There's no sermonette. There's no uh, uh, chit-chat. We get busy praying earnestly. And and praying for God to show up in a powerful way to give us insight into the horizon that His sovereignty is creating. Uh, That's what the church was doing there in Jerusalem. Look at verse 5. It says, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Go down to verse 12. So, when Uh, He had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, Peter's been let go from prison. Uh, He goes to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. You see the picture there between verse 5 and verse 12, the church was still gathered praying. Like Jesus in the garden, the believers, uh, uh, the church was asking God to produce his will uh, in these troubling times, to (laughs) to give them the power they needed to fulfill the calling that God had given them to tell others who Jesus is. Peter was in prison for several days, waiting for the Passover uh, celebrations to end. And yet, um, uh, the people were praying. And God was moving. Uh, While the church is praying, God is acting. He's, He's moving with power. And so, we as a church, we find power uh, to fulfill our calling, even in the face of troubling times when we commit ourselves to urgent, urgent, uh, earnest prayer. But also, in our prayer, we must trust the rescuer. If you and I call for an, uh, an emergency technician to come to the aid of someone who's in need, then we must trust them as they do their work. Uh, they see things that we don't see because they have a trained eye to see the need. They understand stand things that we don't understand because they have an education that helps them or experience that helps them understand. It's their job to rescue, and they're equipped to handle the task. It's our job to call upon them to rescue So, as the church in Acts chapter 12 is crying out to God for rescue, they couldn't see or hear what was happening in the prison. God was loosing chains and opening prison doors. The power of prayer was a catalyst for Peter's rescue. Look at verses 6 and 7. When Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping. He was bound with two chains between two soldiers. And the guards before the door were watching the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by Peter. A light shone in the prison. He struck Peter on the side and raised him up saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Verse 11. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. Now you look in the prison cell and Peter was sleeping. Um, That sleeping on the part of Peter is a picture of his trust. He laid his head down to sleep, and his heart was at rest because he was trusting his rescuer. It doesn't mean that he believed that he was going to escape the sword. His friend and, uh, and co-follower of Jesus and leader of the church, James, had already been killed. Peter wasn't necessarily expecting uh, to escape death, but he was trusting in his rescuer, the one that had delivered him from the power of sin is the one that would deliver him from the power of death and bring him into the very presence of God. Peter was sleeping because his heart was at rest in the hands of his rescuer. You know, you and I are here today and we need to lean into that commitment to trust our rescuer. How do we do that? Well, we do it through prayer. You know, prayer Uh, Especially as we pray the Scriptures, prayer helps us rehearse again and again and again the glorious work of a loving God for sinners like you and me that brought rescue to us through the death of Christ on a cross and His resurrection from the dead. We've got the, the, the tools we need. And when we pray, we look again upon that wondrous work of God's rescuing love to give us Freedom from our spiritual chains to give us life instead of death. Sight instead of blindness. Hope instead of despair. This is what God does. And when we pray, we tap into what God has already done for us. But it's also... Trusting our Rescuer to move along the horizon that God's sovereignty is creating to move us along that horizon and give us a spirit of calm, contemplation, and contentment as we rest our hearts in the hands of our Rescuer. So when you're looking at the struggles and the troubles that you face and when our church is examining the the landscape of around us and how we move forward and fulfill our calling as the church and telling others who Jesus is and all the obstacles that may be in our way, we need to be urgent in prayer and trust the Rescuer, the one that has brought us out of sins, embraces the one who brings us into the arms of our Heavenly Father, step by step, every single day along the way. So let's trust our Rescuer. And know for certain that the Lord is rescuing us. Uh, Prayer has always been a catalyst for rescue. The darkness of the night may be deep, but the light of God's rescue is coming. When we pray, the light of God's rescuing love shines in our darkness. We might not see it yet. It may still seem a long way off. But God, according to His sovereign purpose and plan, sets us free from the bondage that holds us down so that we may press forward in life and or death and declare who Jesus is to a watching world. While the church is praying, God is moving. So let's trust our Rescuer. We commit to urgent, earnest prayer. We pray and trust in the rescuer, and we pray, number three, remembering God's amazing grace. When you look at verse 16, it's kind of a comical thing that happens. In in verses 13, 14, and 15, you hear Peter knocking at the door of of uh, John Mark's mother's house, and, and he's knocking at the door because he knows the church is going to be there, and he believes the church is going to be there praying. So, he goes straight there. He knocks on the door. A young girl answers the door, and she is like, uh, no, you're supposed to be in prison. She leaves him standing at the door and comes back and tells everybody gathered and says, uh, Peter is at the door. They say, you're seeing a ghost. You've lost your ever-loving mind. And so Peter keeps knocking. Look at verse 16. Now, Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw Peter, they were astonished. The church faithfully praying, but they were were held tight by the reality of Agrippa's sword. It was way too real for them to think that Peter would um, be alive. But that's what God's grace did. In that moment, at that time, that's what God's grace did. God's grace is simply astounding in its love and its power. It astonished the church that was praying for God to act and to move so that they might continue to fulfill their calling of telling others who Jesus is. When we pray, we need to remember how God's grace has worked. This story is a story in and of itself that should give us Hope and courage in the face of difficult days as the church. And we pray remembering God's grace. It's astounding in its love. It's amazing in its power. And God has rescued us from sin and brought us into his family through the sacrifice of Jesus and his resurrection. His grace is amazing. Through prayer, we get a front row seat to what God is doing in our lives and through our church. His grace is amazing. When we pray, we rehearse the power of His amazing grace to part Red Seas and to stop the sun in its track. uh, To bring manna from heaven and water from a rock to burn a bush and speak from its place, to, be, uh, uh, to bring fire from heaven and consume a waterlogged altar to a foreign God. We see God raising the dead and sending Jesus to rescue us, to die for our sin upon a cross, to be raised from the dead, to give us new life. We see God pouring in us, the Holy Spirit, as we place our faith in Jesus and turn from our old way of life and trust in Him. We're new creatures made new by God's grace. Let's remember in our praying the amazing nature of God's grace to move mountains, to stop the sun, to part the seas and the rivers so that we walk through on dry ground to prepare for us a place in glory where we are overwhelmed by God's presence face to face, unfiltered. God's grace is amazing. So in our praying, let's remember God's grace. So often in our prayer times, and one of the things that we try to avoid as we gather together on Tuesday nights at 630 is we don't want to just give a litany list. To God of all the things that we see wrong with our world. Uh, We want to walk up the steps that God's love has built, and we want to look out the window and see the horizon that His sovereignty is creating, uh, creating by His grace. We want to see God operate, and so we're remembering how God has graced us in days past and believe in our heart that He is gracing us today so that our church First Norfolk might continue to fulfill the mission that God has given us. The final thing we do when we pray, and it's really um, uh, testimony in prayer, but it's also testimony beyond prayer, is we got to share the story of God's amazing grace and His rescuing love. Uh, I love to listen to rescue stories. I love to see uh, different pictures of rescue and and hear the stories of rescue. In a few weeks, we're gonna be looking uh, on Sunday, uh, July 4th, and what a day of celebration that is for our nation as uh, we declared independence uh, from a foreign power. And in in our history, July 4th is always a day of great celebration of the rescue that we eventually won uh, from uh, Great Britain. And in a few weeks, we're going to celebrate that. But there's a greater rescue, a more profound rescue, one that is above and beyond any nationality or ethnic group, one that is above and beyond any kind of, of uh, uh, homemade or world-made kingdom or paradise. It is a rescue uh, from uh, the chains of our sin. It is a rescue into a new life that God has created. And we need to tell the story. Look at verse 17. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, Peter declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. He said, go tell these things to James, that's the brother of Jesus, and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. We need to share the story of God's intervening intervening power in our lives. The, the, The... the final notes of this story uh, through verse 23 is that uh, uh, the rescue of Peter from prison created quite a stir among the Roman uh, soldiers. Uh, they knew that Peter had been chained, and they knew that he was not chained any longer. And, and, and it created a stir, and, 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 and Herod himself um, was uh, killed by God. And there's no other way to describe it. Certainly he had a physical illness, but God brought judgment on Herod. Now, the reason that story ends that way is because it's part of our story. Everyone who seeks to prevail over the gospel of Jesus Christ and the church that Jesus is building will falter and fall. And Jesus said that he was building this church, and even the gates of hell will not prevail against it, and certainly not governments or kingdoms or rulers or principalities or powers. So as we pray, we remember the promises of God and we share the story of his rescuing love so that others might be stirred in their hearts and come to Christ. Guys, we are victorious. Even in opposition, even in hostility, no matter what we face, we are victorious because we belong to the winner. We belong to God. And he's brought us into his family. So let's celebrate the gospel's advance. Let's give ourselves as we give our church to the gospel's advance. And let's bring glory to him by fulfilling our calling. Let's gather together in prayer. And let's see what God will do. May God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May he bless your coming in. May he bless your going out. And may he fill your life with purpose as you share the good news with others. God bless you and good night.